Uh, this morning, I titled this message, Religious But Lost. Religious But Lost. To be clear, uh, what I mean by lost is I mean spiritually lost. Spiritually lost. And a person who is uh, spiritually lost is a person that is under God's condemnation for their sin and guilt. They are, they are not saved. They are not born again. They are not redeemed. They have not been reconciled to God. They remain in spiritual darkness. Hell, rather than heaven, is the destiny of all who are lost in this sense, spiritually lost. Now, let me define the word religious for you because people have different definitions of that. This is the one I'm using according to Webster's Dictionary. Religious is of, relating to, or devoted to religious beliefs or observances. Devoted to religious beliefs or observances. Religious. Now, beloved, the nation of Israel or the Jewish people that Paul refers to in our text today were without any doubt a very religious people. In fact, they were as religious as anyone could possibly be. Their entire lives, not just one day of the week, but their entire lives revolved around their religious beliefs and observances. From morning to night, every waking hour had something to do with their religious beliefs and observances. One writer comments that Israel was referred to as the God-intoxicated people. The God-intoxicated people. Now, I certainly don't think that it is a a bad thing to be referred to as uh, God-intoxicated, right? There's a lot of other ways you could be referred to that wouldn't be so good, especially in the reference to being intoxicated. But to be intoxicated with God, that's quite, it appears to be quite the compliment, don't you think? And yet these very religious people, these people characterized by their incredibly intense devotion to God, listen, they were for the most part lost. They were lost. Not saved. Not reconciled to God. And we know that, beloved, because, and we'll read it in in a second, because the Apostle Paul's prayer to God and desire for them or his fellow Israelites was that they might be saved. (laughs) That they might be saved. Beloved, the sad and heart breaking situation concerning the Jewish people that Paul wrote about in Romans is similar in some ways to many religious people today. Did you hear what I said? It's very similar. Now listen, just for clarity, I would classify myself as being religious based on the definition I gave you earlier. I don't have any problem with saying I'm religious. As a Christian, I am devoted to my religious beliefs and observances. I hope as a Christian you are as well. But unlike the first century Jews that Paul describes in our text, I am not lost. 
I am not lost. I am, by the amazing grace of God, a saved man, a man reconciled to God. But that is sadly not the case for so many religious people in our world today. But why? Well, as we look at our text today, what we're going to do is simply, and this is in your bulletins, in your outline, we're going to consider three reasons, just three reasons drawn from the text why people who are religious, even very religious, may still be lost, may still be lost. First, their zeal is not in line with the truth. We'll develop these as we move through the text. Second, they seek to establish their own righteousness. And third, they fail to rely wholly on Christ to supply the righteousness that they desperately need. Let's look at our text, and we'll get into it. Chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, we'll read through verse 4. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The them in verse 1, based on the context, you can see this just by looking up at verse 31 of chapter 9, it's a reference to Paul's fellow Israelites or the Jewish people. That's the them that Paul's heart is broken over and for whom he prays for salvation. Now listen, I just, I just want to point this out. Even though it's obvious, I want to point it out that Paul is not praying here for the salvation of atheists or agnostics or those who seem to have little interest for God. I'm sure he prayed for them as well, but that's not the group of people Paul is praying for. Rather, as I said, these are the God-intoxicated people that Paul is praying for, for their salvation specifically. These people were clearly passionate about God, and yet they had missed salvation. They were utterly lost. They were, in a sense, just as lost as, as the atheist. How could that be? Well, that brings me to the first reason why religious people may still be lost. Their zeal is not in line with the truth. That's the first point in your outline this morning. Look back at, at verse 2. At verse two, Paul says this, For I bear them witness, he's again speaking of the nation of Israel, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. But not according to knowledge. Another Good translation of the Bible translates verse 2 this way. For I can testify that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. Their zeal is not in line with the truth is 
You can see I use that for our, our first point, that terminology, that line, the statement. Israel's zeal, beloved, or passion for God, which, which Paul, as a Jew and a former Pharisee, he understood, him, he understood those things very well, was unfortunately not fully informed or directed by the truth. In their zeal, like the Apostle Paul before he was saved by Christ, they resisted and persecuted the very church of God, mistakenly believing that they were actually serving God by doing so. They, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, in their misguided zeal, fervently rejected the gospel and did their best to prevent the spread of Christianity. In Acts 22, and I say did their best because they could not prevent it, for God was behind it. (laughs) But they did their very best. They were fighting against the God that they were zealous for. Because their zeal was not according to knowledge. In Acts chapter 22, Paul, speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem, makes reference to what he was doing just before he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Let me remind you of that. It's in Acts 22 and verse 3. He says to this crowd in Jerusalem, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Speaking to other Jews, I persecuted this way. You see that word way? It shows up several times in the book of Acts. It's a, it's a reference to Christianity, which is interesting because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's fitting, it's appropriate, but they refer to Christians or the Christian movement as the way. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders, the religious leaders, can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Punished, beloved. Imprisoned, even murdered. For what? For their faith. For their profession of Christ. So while Israel may have been zealous for God, their zeal was clearly lacking in knowledge. Beloved, a a religious zeal not fully directed or informed by the truth is an incredibly dangerous thing. It's an incredibly dangerous thing. There is nothing wrong with having zeal. That was not the issue. It was that their zeal was not according to knowledge. In Israel's case, it led to their stubborn and utter rejection of the very thing that they needed most of all, the Savior, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. One writer says this, The problem with Israel 
was not in a lack of enthusiasm or effort. If sincerity and diligence were the way to heaven, Israel would be in first place. With many of the cults and isms of our day running a close second, Israel had plenty of zeal, but it was misdirected due to a lack of knowledge. To a lack of knowledge. Beloved, just a word of uh, exhortation. We need to make sure that our passion is always being guided by the Word of God, okay? By the truth of His Word. Because if it isn't, it can be quite a dangerous thing. In verse 3, Paul begins it by explaining what it meant that their zeal was not according to knowledge or not in line with the truth. He helps us understand that by stating that they were, quote, ignorant of the righteousness of God. Ignorant of the righteousness of God. And that brings me to the second reason people who are religious may still be lost. That is, they seek to establish their own righteousness. They seek to establish their own righteousness. Now, I'll develop this, but in verse 3, go back, let's read it. For, Paul says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. While the Jews' passion for God was certainly intense, it was a zeal, or it was zeal, ignorant of the righteousness of God. It was zeal, ignorant of the righteousness of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they didn't know that God was righteous. Okay? They, they clearly understood that. The Old Testament clearly reveals that. Their time with God clearly reveals that to them. They knew God was righteous. So what does it mean? What were they ignorant of, this righteousness of God? Well, to help us understand what Paul is saying, it's worth noting that the NIV, uh, these are other translations of the Bible, and the NET have, and they're both good translations of the Bible, have translated the phrase that we find here in verse 3, the righteousness of God. They've translated it this way, the righteousness that comes from God. The righteousness that comes from God, and that is a valid translation. The righteousness that comes from God. So what the Jews are ignorant about isn't God's righteousness, but the righteousness that comes from God. Well, maybe you're still asking, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you might already know, especially if you've been with us uh, through the book of Romans. Paul has already made it clear in Romans that no one, no one, neither Jew or Gentile, no human being can be said to be righteous before God on their own, right? In fact, the Bible declares that all of fallen humanity is unrighteous before God and consequently subject to his holy wrath and condemnation. But the righteousness that the sinner so desperately needs in order to be saved to be made entirely right with God, has been made available to all by God through faith in God's 
Son, Jesus Christ. This, beloved, this, beloved, is the righteousness from God or the righteousness of God to which Paul is referring to in verse 3. This is what Israel was ignorant of. So then the Jewish people, while zealous for God, were ignorant, you could say, of saving righteousness. Or you could say that they were ignorant of the way of salvation. Ignorant of the way of salvation. Or as one writer says, and I like this, this is how he puts it. Israel, the Jewish people, Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh, they were ignorant of how the righteous God puts the unrighteous right with himself by bestowing upon them a righteous status. This is the righteousness of God, which is revealed in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and is received by faith altogether apart from the law, as Paul has written earlier in Romans 1.17 and chapter 3, verse 21. That is the righteousness from God. But beloved, listen. Now listen. This ignorance that Paul speaks of was not due to a lack of information. It was not due to a lack of information, right? We might refer to someone who's, we might say that they're ignorant, and hopefully we're not, that's not a put-down. We're just saying they don't know. They, were never, they never learned these things. Uh, when we speak of someone being, they don't have that knowledge, but this, this ignorance was a little, this is a little bit different. Let me explain. For throughout Romans, we have seen that Paul, right, as we've moved throughout Romans, and I told you when we got into Romans, we're going to refer back to the Old Testament more than any other book because Paul continually refers back to the Old Testament. And what is he writing about in Romans? The gospel. The gospel. So in order to describe and defend and explain the gospel, he continually refers back to the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament? Those are the Jewish scriptures. Those are their scriptures. They should have known. They should have known. Contained within them were the truths of the gospel, the need for salvation. The Messiah was prophesied. In the Old Testament scriptures, Jews were beloved. And unlike uh, modern-day Christianity, the Jews knew their scriptures, okay? At least they were familiar with them. I mean, this was, you know, they didn't have television and all the other distractions. They spent their time devoted to and in their scriptures. They should have known Beyond that, Jesus personally brought the truth of God's word to the nation of Israel. But you know what? They were not willing to receive it. They were not willing. They murdered him. So you could say then that their ignorance was not ultimately due to a lack of information. They were ignorant, but it was a willful disregard for the scriptures or God's written word. A willful disregard for the scriptures or God's written word. Not that they weren't familiar with the scriptures, but they disregarded the truth of them. 
One writer adds this, as we shall see later, and we know this because of the context and everything else we know about the nation of Israel, as we read through chapter 10 and we get through the rest of this chapter, you'll see this lack of knowledge was not due to a lack of revelation or innocent ignorance on the part of Israel. It was a willful and obstinate rejection of the truth as taught in the Old Testament and a further and as further disclosed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let your eyes just kind of uh, scan down to at the end of chapter 10. Just the end of chapter 10. You'll see what the conclusion of this chapter is. There, Paul writes, quoting again the Old Testament, but of Israel, he says, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They have rejected my truth. They have rejected it. It's not that they didn't have it. They didn't want it. They, did, they rejected the truth of it. Another writer adds this, their lack of knowledge was self-inflicted. It was self-inflicted. Hear this, refuse the truth and God will give you up to your own foolishness. Think about that, beloved. Think about that. Refuse the truth of God's word. Refuse the truth as I bring it to you every Sunday morning. Refuse that and God will give you up to your own foolishness. You don't want my truth? You want to go your own way? Maybe I'll just grant that to you. And that's a dangerous thing, beloved. It's a dangerous thing to refuse God's truth on any level, on any level. One writer says this, again, speaking about the ignorance of Israel, if that ignorance were the usual kind of ignorance, the kind I referred to when I first started talking to you about ignorance, you might conclude that they were excusable. They were excusable. But this was a willful ignorance. So it, this, as he says in verse 3, could be expressed, the passage in verse 3 could be expressed, ignoring God's righteousness. Ignoring God's righteousness. Rather than just being ignorant of this righteousness. And that, meaning therefore willful ignorance. And that, by the way, is how one translation of the Bible actually puts that in verse 3. Because that ignorance can be understood as a willful disregard for knowledge. And that's why they were ignorant. I'll show you in, in the NET Bible, Romans 10.3, this is how they translate it. Listen. For ignoring the righteousness that comes from God and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They did not submit. Ignoring the righteousness that comes from God and, and seeking to establish their own righteousness is what Paul's fellow Israelites had done. See, the Jewish, pe Jewish people, just like so many lost religious people today, were in their foolish pride bent on establishing their own righteousness before God. They, the Israelites, listen, they sought to earn their place in heaven. How? How, how might they do that? Well, they, they believed it was through their obedience to the law of God and their devoted service to him. But beloved, that is not the way of salvation. 
That is not the way that a sinner is made right with a holy God. Did you hear me? That is not the way. That is not how the righteous God puts the unrighteous right with himself. That is not the way. But the sad reality is unredeemed, sinful people are prone to reject God's way for their foolish way of doing things. And when it comes to salvation, that is truly the worst mistake anyone could make. I'm going to do it my way, God. I'm going to do it my way. One writer says, being willfully ignorant of God's righteousness They exerted continuous effort in searching for a way in their zeal to establish their own righteousness, refusing to submit to God's righteousness. And then he goes on to say, that explains the trouble with many people today. They are actually trying to establish their own righteousness, unwilling to submit to the righteousness of God. Beloved, I've ran into professing Christians who do or are doing the exact same thing. And I say professing because they claim to be Christians, and yet they are attempting by their words, by their efforts, at least by what they say, they are attempting to establish their own righteousness before God. Whether it be through their moral code or or through their keeping of God's law, they actually think and believe that they are establishing their righteousness before God and therefore, in some way, earning or contributing to their salvation. Beloved, if you're working hard to establish your own righteousness, if, 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 if you or someone's doing that, then you know what? And this was the case for Israel. You don't have time for the righteousness of God. You don't have time for that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I got this. I got this. I'm good. I don't need a righteousness from God. I got my own. And I'm adding to it every day. Just look at me. You see? They had no time for Jesus. The Jesus they were looking for was a, a king to come and remove the tyranny of Rome that was over them, to, to reinstate them to the great nation they once were. Right? Remove us from this burden. They weren't looking for the Savior that they needed because in their eyes and in their minds, they believed themselves to be righteous. <laughs> I always find it interesting when you're seeing these conversations between the religious leaders and Jesus, they refer to the other folks, Gentiles, as sinners. That was the, that was the term they used for them. They're the unrighteous ones. They didn't never refer to themselves as sinners. Unless they were a tax collector, and that was different because they were a traitor of Judaism. So you could be a Jewish tax collector and be referred to as a... Well, they just called them tax collectors. That was even lower than sinner, I guess. But, but they didn't refer to themselves as sinners. Why? Listen, it's the sinner who needs a savior, right? But if you're not a sinner, as if that could possibly be true for anyone then I guess you don't need a Savior. See? You think about it. They loved Jesus when he was feeding them, right? He loved Jesus when they were healing him. 
But all this talk about a Savior having to go and die and stuff, wait a minute. Not really interested in that. Don't need that. Jesus, we need some food. We need a king. We need you to bring your army and conquer this Roman power that's over us. That's the salvation we're looking for. Salvation of our souls, we're good. We have the law. John Calvin said this. John Calvin said this. The first step to obtaining the righteousness of God is to renounce. That is to give up any claim to our own righteousness. I'm going to say that again. The first step to obtaining the righteousness from God or of God is to renounce our own righteousness. You cannot reach out for God's righteousness if you're still holding on to your made-up righteousness because the reality is is what the Bible says. There are none righteous, no, not one. In Matthew 9, Jesus said to the self-righteous and religious elite among the nation of Israel, the Pharisees, he said this, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but those who are sick. See, the, the problem for the Jewish, and by the way, Christ is, we refer to him commonly as the great physician. And sometimes people get that confused and they just think of Jesus healing like our sickness or disease or illness, like, comp, like my flu, <laughs> okay? And he is the great physician. Certainly all that stuff is included, but he is the great physician in the sense that he heals the sickened soul, the soul that cannot heal itself. But, you know, if you don't think you're sick, right? You don't, you don't seek help. You don't go to the doctor, That doesn't mean you're not sick. I've met lots of people who are sick as can be. They might have some serious illness, but they just live in self-denial. I'm not sick. I'm fine. That was the the Jewish people of Jesus' day. And so the problem for them and for so many religious people is, is that they refuse, as I said, to acknowledge their sickness, their utter helplessness before God. And rather, they insist that based on their own effort or doing, that they are good or can become good enough to stand before God and gain entrance into heaven. But beloved, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth than that. Nothing. Listen, in order for a Jew, or for anyone for that matter, to subject themselves or to submit to the righteousness of God, in order for a sinner to obey God's way of saving sinners, in order for them to do that, they have to first admit that they are entirely helpless to make themselves right with God. Did you hear me? And, and, and beloved, it's not like... Okay, I'm entirely helpless to make myself right with God, but then I get saved, and now I'm going to make myself right with God. No, I remain entirely helpless as a Christian. I remain entirely helpless to make myself right with God. I am always relying on the righteousness that comes from God by way of His grace. I'll keep relying on that for all eternity. 
So they must admit that they are helpless, that they are completely unable to save themselves or contribute anything to their salvation. And this, that all of their religious efforts or good works or law-keeping could never justify them before a holy and righteous God. To say it another way, to submit to God's righteousness, which is what Israel was unwilling to do, one must entirely give up on trying to establish their own righteous standing before God and humbly look to God to clothe us in the righteousness of his divine Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what the sinner must do in order to be saved. Let me say it this way. On our own, before God, we are naked concerning righteousness. And can I just say that that's a real problem because God does not allow naked people into his heaven. Do you hear what I'm saying? He does not. So the only way that you and I can get in is for God to clothe us in his righteousness. Otherwise, there is no admission. The door will remain closed. And beloved, he does that when we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our hope and our trust and our confidence not in us, not in our religious fervor, or activity, but in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And that brings me to the last reason that people who are religious may still be lost. May still be lost. It's point three in your outline. They fail, beloved, to one degree or another, they fail to rely wholly on Christ to supply the righteousness that they need. They fail to rely wholly on Christ to supply the righteousness that they need. Look back at our text. Look at verse 4. It says there, For Christ, Paul says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, in light of what Paul just said in verse 3, looking at context to try to understand this, and he said, where he says that his Jewish brethren were seeking to establish their own righteousness rather than, su- than submit to God's righteousness, okay? and knowing that the Jews foolishly relied on the law and their obedience to it in an attempt to earn or merit a right standing before God, in light of those things, in light of verse 3, I understand verse 4 to be saying that those who do trust in Christ cease using the law to establish their own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The true Christian, beloved, the saved person relies wholly, fully, completely on Christ to supply the righteousness that they need which is the righteousness of God. Beloved, it is not 
through the law or our obedience to the law, but only through faith in Christ that we can have and do have as Christians a right standing with God. You hear me? Because this is really, really critical because so many people got this, they have it wrong. They got this wrong. One commentator translates verse 4 like this. I found this to be helpful. They translate verse 4 like this. For Christ means the end of the struggle for righteousness by the law for everyone who believes in him. Concerning this verse, I also found John MacArthur's note in his study Bible uh, to be very helpful. It says this, Paul means that belief in Christ as Lord and Savior ends the sinner's futile quest for righteousness through his imperfect attempts to save himself by efforts to obey the law. It ends it. It's the end. It terminates it. It's over. Listen, beloved, you cannot, as I've already said, on one hand, be relying wholly on Christ to supply the righteousness that you need to be right with God, and on the other hand, be seeking that righteousness through your obedience to the law. It is one or the other. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. That was so hard for the Jews to to get, to accept, to embrace. As that old hymn, a really old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages puts it. How many of you know that, Rock of Ages? We've sung it. It's good. It says, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. And, and listen, then he says, could my zeal no respite no? What is that? Uh, respite, no, no break uh, or, or rest. So if my zeal never took a break, it never took a break. I had all the zeal and it was on 24-7. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? So what's that about? Repentance. If, if I could cry over and over and over again for my sins, repenting always, could my tears forever flow? Oh, for sin could not atone. It wouldn't matter. It doesn't matter all of that. I could cry. I could, I could be zealous 24-7, but still that could not make me right with God. Then he says, thou must save. Thou must save. You, God, have to do it, and thou alone. Favorite part of the song. Nothing in my hand I bring. What's the, you know, the second part? Simply to the cross I cling. I don't, I don't bring anything in this salvation transaction. And it says someone has said before, and so right, the only thing I bring to this is my sin. Here, Lord, here I am, broken and unrighteous and helpless before you. 
I cling only to the cross. I have nothing to offer you. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked. That's where I got the idea, by the way. Naked come to thee for dress. I am unrighteous before you. I need to be clothed in your righteousness, God. I can't purchase that clothing anywhere. I can't earn it. I can't merit it. It's not sold. It is given freely by grace from God through faith in his son. Helpless, the song goes on, look to thee for grace. Huh? See, this, is, this is the song of a sinner who has been saved. This is, this is the one who is not ignorant of the righteousness of God. And he says, foul, I to the fountain fly. What is that? You know, foul. You know what foul is? You should, because we talk about foul language. That's good. You should think of it that way. Dirty or unclean. Dirty and unclean, I, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. If, I, if God doesn't wash me, if he doesn't cleanse me in his fountain of grace, then I remain filthy before God. Huh? Yeah. One writer says this, the only thing God requires of people is that they not persist in trying to earn what they can only receive as a totally free gift. Their problem is that pride, and I think this is right, their pride stands in the way of receiving God's gift. Deeply ingrained in people's hostility to divine grace is a proud and stubborn self-reliance that would rather suffer loss than be deprived of an occasion for boasting. Beloved, the Jews were very religious people. You couldn't have been more religious. And yet they missed salvation because they foolishly rejected God's way of being saved. They ignored the truth of God's word and pursued salvation their way instead of God's way. Just like so many religious people do today. One translation of the Bible called the NIRV, it's interesting. They, it's not an accurate, always accurate translation. They try to help you understand what's being said, so it's more of an interpretation many times, but this is how they translate the part of 10.3, they translate it this way, speaking of Israel, they tried to get right with God in their own way. They didn't do it in God's way. My friends, let me be clear. It is absolutely impossible for anyone, no matter how religious they are, to earn their way into heaven, and yet to this day, people continue to try. They continue to try. Israel could not do it. And we can't either. There is only one way to be right before God, and that is to renounce your self-effort and by faith alone receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As Paul, the Apostle Paul, says in Philippians chapter 3, 
being in Christ, he does not have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what he said in Philippians chapter 3. What about you? Are you trying to get right with God your own way instead of his way? Any other way than God's way leads to eternal damnation. That's the bottom line. And it's frustrating because you'll never get there. And you'll, you'll always know you're not there. You'll never, you'll never ever have that peace of God that, that is made available to us in the gospel of actually experiencing reconciliation with God, true reconciliation with God, of, of knowing that I'm right with God because of Christ. You'll never have that peace. You ever ask a Catholic, do you know for sure that you'll go to heaven when you die? Ask them. Because nine times out of ten, what they're going to tell you is, I'm not sure. Who can be sure? I'm working on it. I hope to be. Based on what? Well, I'm doing the best I can. That's not God's way of salvation, beloved. In fact, when I, when I read this passage immediately, many things come to my mind, but immediately our Catholicism, a very large religion, and Catholics can be very religious. Maybe not so much in America. Everything in America gets watered down. I don't know what it is. Even Christianity, it's weak sauce. Just kind of gets weak inside. I don't know what it is, but if you go to the places where they originated, you go to some real Catholic countries, you'll see religion. You'll see religious people lost. Lost. Their zeal is not according to their truth. They're seeking to establish their own righteousness, and they do not wholly rely on the righteousness that Christ supplies. Lost. I bet you have friends and neighbors that are very religious but are as lost as can be. I bet you do. I bet you do. And if you don't, get to know some more people because they're everywhere. Listen, let me give you some advice. You should pray for them just as Paul did. Right? Pray for them. Pray that they would come to the knowledge of the truth, but don't stop there. Don't stop there, beloved. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Give them the gospel. (laughs) Tell them about the righteousness that comes from God. Paul wasn't just praying. He was proclaiming constantly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when they didn't want to hear, he proclaimed it anyway. Even in the face of prison, persecution, he told them anyway. He told them the truth. Tell your friends and neighbors the truth concerning the gospel. Tell them about the righteousness that comes from God. Tell them about the great gift that is found in Jesus Christ. Hey, you still got some traction from Christmas. You know, it's still kind of, people are still kind of thinking along those lines religiously. 
Tell them about the real gift. Tell them that the thing God requires of people is that they not persist in trying to earn what they can only receive as a totally free gift. Tell them that. Tell them that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your righteousness. I thank you for your redemption, your salvation. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son. I thank you for redeeming sinners who, such as myself, who could never could never redeem themselves, could never earn or merit heaven. How could we? We stand guilty before you. Father, we deserve, we deserve only your wrath. We deserve your condemnation. In our rebellion and pride, we have fought against you, God, violated your holy law, failed to live up to its perfect standard. We are deserving of hell. You would be just to send us all there. But God, in your love, in your holy wisdom, according to your mercy and grace, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners. To be that perfect substitute. To take the wrath that we deserved upon himself. To pay the price that we could never pay. To accomplish our forgiveness and our redemption. To make us right with you. If only we would believe and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, Father. We are grateful. I'm grateful for my salvation. I'm grateful for all those here who know that salvation. And Lord, at the same time, I pray. I pray for those that are here and those that are not here that they don't know Christ in that way. They are not relying upon Him and Him alone to make them right with you. They are, in one way or another, still trying to to merit or earn a right standing before you. God, may they come to their senses. May you give us another opportunity or more opportunities to speak the gospel to them. May the Holy Spirit convict them and and show them their helplessness before you, God, their sinfulness, their, their utter foulness. And may they see Christ rightly. May they see him as Savior. May they see him as Redeemer, Messiah, the one who saves his people from their sins. And may they flee to the cross and cling to it and find in it the salvation that comes only through faith in Christ, only through faith in Christ. We ask these things in our Redeemer's name. Amen.